Chapter Three of *The Browns at Mount Hermon* by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Mary Brown's Friends. The dwellers on Euston Square, where the beautiful homes were ancestral, at least as much so as homes can be in this new country, were one day treated to a sensation. The house and grounds adjoining the Thornton Brown place were actually sold. To be sure, it was a distant cousin who bought it, but he did not bear the family name, and altogether it was an innovation. It ought to have been resented, and there was a general feeling in the square that the new family should, in a perfectly well-bred manner, of course, be let alone. But it chanced that very early in their coming Miss Brown, quite by accident, came in contact with the new family, and found them charming. There was a real mother there, and a father, and there were three pleasant daughters, and some delightful boys for brothers, too young to even suggest embarrassing situations. Moreover, there was a home atmosphere which the lonely young woman next door recognized the first time she breathed it. She was fascinated, and without in the least intending it, fairly tumbled into an intimacy that was delightful to her. In her secret soul she knew that the mother was more interesting to her than the daughters, and that she should like to have her for her special friend, but that did not seem reasonable. The oldest daughter, just her age, claimed her as a matter of course, but was unselfish and cheerful in letting the others share, and they were all charming people. Not the least pleasant feature of the intimacy to Mary Brown was the delightful comradeship that sprang into life between her and the high school and grammar school boys, a friendship that was exceedingly helpful to her, and too much could hardly be said as to its influence over the boys. Before she had realized what was going on, Miss Brown had accomplished that difficult thing on a city street, in an exclusive circle of which she was the unwilling center, a next-door intimacy sufficiently pronounced for the running-in stage and the next-door people, thanks to her influence, were promptly in the center of things. Perhaps they would have reached there promptly in any case, for they belonged to the class to whom it would have made little difference, and such seem always to make their way. Just as Mary Brown, who had tried this time to be extremely careful, was beginning to let go all reserve and enjoy to the full the home she had borrowed, a cloud arose. The doctor was a name constantly referred to in the family, and Miss Brown, without asking any questions, had gathered that he was very much at home in their circle when he was on this side of the water. She learned that he was a professor in the medical college of their own city, and that he was abroad for an indefinite time. One morning she had run in to plan a drive for the afternoon, and had found them all in a state of hilarity over a just-received letter with the announcement that the doctor was coming home. "'Just think, Miss Brown,' Alice, the high school girl, had said. He expects to sail very soon, perhaps next week, and the last word we had from him was that he had almost decided to stay another year. I can't think what has made him change his mind, unless it was because I told him what we thought about you and— She stopped in utter confusion, and a chorus of laughter greeted her from the other sisters, followed by exclamations. You're a nice child, Allie. I think as much. Always cautioning us not to tell and then doing it yourself. I haven't told a thing, said the scarlet-faced Alice. No, but you will have to now, or Miss Brown will think it is something dreadful. I shall tell. It is Alice's first effort at matchmaking, Miss Brown, and she has smothered Nettie and me in cautions not to mention it for the world. Nonsense, said the girl. Don't you believe them, Miss Brown? They are just trying to tease me. You can tell her all you want to, girls. I didn't say a word more than you did, either. I shall tell her myself. It isn't anything dreadful, Miss Brown, only we all said that you were just the one person in the world that we had ever seen, whom we thought Doctor would like, and I told him about you, how dear you were, and how we all loved you, and how we wished you would come home, and—and—' and, "'Love her, too!' exploded Nettie in a fresh burst of laughter. "'Oh, Allie, what a goose you are! You've spoiled it all now!' Then Miss Brown had questioned in a puzzled way, letting her impressions come to the surface in doing so. 
She had thought that the doctor was at least a middle-aged gray-haired man with spectacles and a family, and that he lived in Professor's Row with the others. There had followed a chorus of exclamations. "'Doctor, an old man, the idea! Well, he hasn't a family by any means except us. We are his family. And he doesn't live in any row, I can assure you. He lives with us.' "'Why, the doctor is only thirty, and he is just the same as our brother. His mother died before Nettie was born, when he was a little bit of a fellow. She was Mama's dearest, sweetest sister, and Mama had him come right home to us, and he has lived here ever since. He is only thirty, Miss Brown. That is what makes him so remarkable. He has become distinguished for medical research even so early in his career.' "'Allie is quoting from the medical journal now,' the others said, and laughed. And Miss Brown had gone home presently, more dismayed than she would have cared to have her adopted family understand. Dismayed and disheartened, here was the end of all her newly found pleasant home-like times. With the advent of a young doctor, the delightful friendliness expressed by that run-in-at-any-time phrase would be over. She would have to be circumspect and dignified, and keep constantly in memory not only the friendly neighborhood espionage, but the more careless one of the watching outside world. Even the servants would be on the alert, curious to see what sort of intimacy was established between herself and this other who, it seemed, was really one of the family. In short, she told herself with a weary sigh, "'He has spoiled it all.' This conviction deepened as the days passed, and the interest in the speedy return of Doctor kept his name continually at the front. Especially was that high school girl Alice a trial at this time. Having once divulged her eager secret that Doctor and Miss Brown had been created for each other, and that she was to be the link in the connecting chain, she worked steadily at her task, ringing his praises until the poor victim for whom they were especially intended grew to fairly hate the sound of his name. She began almost bitterly to resent his connection with this particular family. He had all the world beside, apparently. Why could he not have left this one home to her? She laughed, of course, over her own folly, but nevertheless she was miserable. She spent a wretched night or two trying to plan a satisfactory outing for the summer. It had included a month's sojourn at a very quiet resort in company with the family next door, but that had suddenly lost its charm. She could not include herself in that way with the new member present, even had she desired to do so. Matters were in this state when a note from her business agent and former guardian concerning some of her recently acquired property suddenly gave her a new suggestion. She would go and see the little six-roomed cottage that had unexpectedly become hers. Why not? She could even stay in that vicinity somewhere for a few days, perhaps, and plan what she would do next. At least this would enable her to get away from the disappointments and questionings of that irrepressible Alice, the high school girl. No sooner had the idea occurred to her than she settled upon it at once as a conviction. There was something pathetic about the little possession. A nurse who had served and loved her in childhood, but had been lost sight of through these later years, had recently died, and being without relatives, had left all her small possession, a tiny furnished cottage, to Mary Brown, sole heiress of the millionaire Everett Thornton Brown of Euston Square, and the child of her love and care. At first the rich man's daughter exclaimed over her legacy in amused dismay. What in the world was she to do with a six-roomed cottage located in a little western village many hundred miles from her home? Later she had cried over the thought that one whom she had forgotten had remembered her all these years and loved her enough to leave her little all to her. She wished that she could have known about the love and realized it before there was nothing left but a grave. Then came the inspiration. Why should she not visit that grave and see that all outward respect at least was paid to the memory of Nurse Borland? Incidentally, she could also visit the six-roomed cottage. Such was the combination of circumstances that had made Miss Brown a guest at the Circleville House, hundreds of miles away from her usual surroundings, and from all who even knew of her. No, there was one other phase of the combination. There was something that she must decide. She could not settle it at home. 
at least it would not stay settled. Perhaps the atmosphere of Circleville, wherever that might be, would help to clear her vision. There was a certain Richard Wade, a friend of her girlhood, of her childhood indeed. He had seemed for years like one of her brothers, and had been almost as much at home as they in her father's house. If only he had been content to stay as her brother, how much less lonely her life might be. But Richard, who was just her age and had seemed much younger, had been away for two years and then had returned, grown up. Some way he had discovered suddenly that he was not only a man with a man's ideas and feelings, but that those feelings, even to his innermost heart, were centered on his one-time playmate, Mary Brown. He was very positive and insistent. He not only knew that he loved her with all his soul, but was equally sure that she loved him. Why shouldn't she? Hadn't she always liked him better than any of her friends? A great deal better? And there was no one else, was there? Well, then what was the use? No matter if she did not realize that she had the right kind of feeling for him, that was nothing. He was not afraid. He had not realized it himself until lately, but he knew now, both for himself and her. Once they were married and the thing was settled for life, she would find out fast enough that he was the only one in the world. She had felt compelled to laugh at the boyishness of this logic, and had reminded him that once they were married it would be too late to do any finding out. But at that he had shown that he was man enough to suffer, and had convinced her that he, at least, was in solemn earnest. And he had urged a speedy marriage with all the eloquence that he could muster, and had convinced her judgment that, once the decision were made, there would be no reason in delay. She was alone in the world, and so was he, at least comparatively. He had brothers and a sister, but they were married and settled. And happy without me, he had told her pathetically, and then she had realized that he too was lonely. But she could not decide to marry him. There were nights when she went to sleep at last under the conviction that it was settled, and she would be married as soon as he wished, only to awaken in the gray of the very early morning to renew the weary questionings. There were times when she chafed under the restraints of conventionalities. If Richard were her brother they could make a home together, and have as much of each other's society as they chose, and live their separate lives at the same time as they chose. Why could it not be so with friends? She would like very well to pour Richard's coffee for him and chat with him whenever he chose to dine at home and she had no other engagement. She could imagine an ideal life for them both. But to marry him, give up her name and time and individuality almost, as she was sure that people truly married did and were glad to do, she shivered and shrank from it and was sure that she and Richard were not for each other. And then he would spend an eager evening with her, tingling to his fingers' ends with assurance and determination, and the arguments would be gone over again. She must get away from them, and from him. She must reach a decision that would bear daylight and stay fixed. It was being cruel to Richard to vacillate so. This, after all, had been the real reason why she caught at the tiny cottage in Circleville and took her sudden flight in that direction, not even hinting to Richard that she was going. He was out of town for a few days, and this helped her in getting away. She had been gloomy during the journey over the loss of her adopted family, for the more she thought about them in connection with the doctor, the more sure she was that her enjoyment was over. And then she had been gloomy for another reason. It seemed strange, but as the separating miles increased between Richard Wade and herself, her inward vision seemed to clear. Before she reached Circleville she had become almost certain once more that she was not the woman whom Richard ought to marry, and that she would not marry him. But with that strange inconsistency which sometimes harasses the human heart, the decision saddened her. She should in this way lose her friend, her lifelong friend and comrade and almost brother. Richard at least knew his own mind and had not changed, and would not, and they could never be again as they had been. She was sorry for him, and at the same time almost vexed with him. Things might have been so pleasant if he had not been foolish. She, it seemed, was not to have a friend of any kind. 
It was this dreary loneliness and sense of separation and loss that she had brought with her to Circleville. It was what had made the look on her face which had caused John Jackson to remark to his associate in the freight depot that he never see a young person before look so kind of lonesome and sad. He guessed she had lost friends lately, her mother maybe, and then he had sighed. John Jackson was the young man who had lately buried his mother, to whom he had always been good, and who wanted to marry the other Mary Brown as soon as he could get forehanded enough. He told the other freight man that he was that sorry for the young woman that he had gone over with her to the hotel and carried her bag himself away up to her room, so she wouldn't have to wait for that slowpoke of a Tim to do it. All this Mary Brown did not know. She did not even know that she had arrested the attention of John Jackson, and that he had been especially kind to her. But she knew that she was sad, and she believed that she had lost friends. End of chapter 3